Hello, Adventure Church. And thank you again so much to Pastor Scott and the team and all of you for letting me spend a little bit of time with you today. My name's TC, and if you're anything like me, these last several weeks have left you feeling a little uneasy. I can't look at my computer or open my Instagram or check an email without seeing another story that freaks me out. All the things that are happening around us are, are scary now, and they're not scary in the way of traditionally scary things. You know, like the traditional scary thing list of spiders and clowns and heights and people asking you to move. You know, the list of scary things. Maybe share with us in the comments, what's something that gives you the heebie-jeebies? You know, one of those things for me is snakes. I lived in Tennessee for a while, and I remember one time I went on a hike with some buddies, and uh, on this part of the hike, the trail diverged, and, and the main trail continued to slope downwards, where the other side of the trail went up on this narrow ledge. It was just about shoulder width apart, and I wanted to run ahead and get up on that ledge so I could, I could scare my friends whenever they came by. And When I ran up on this ledge, it was overgrown. There was a lot of roots growing on the ledge, and I ran, and I, I jumped over the roots, and I heard the roots begin to hiss at me. I turned around and those weren't roots. It was a giant rattlesnake. So I was faced with a choice. Do I try and jump the rattlesnake or do I just jump off the cliff? <laughs> and I chose to jump off the cliff. That's my response when I see a snake is run much rather than attempt anything heroic. But my great grandfather, he was the manliest man to have ever manned. He would dance around until he grabbed the snake by the tail and would pop it like a whip to kill it. I mean, that is too high of a standard for me to ever live up to. But when it comes to snakes, they're deadly. They're scary. There's this list of deadliest snakes in the world. It includes the king cobra. It includes uh, the black mamba. And on that list at number four is a snake called the inland taipan. Maybe it's taipan. I don't know. I'm not really Really good at pronouncing things. But it's also called the fierce snake. And the fierce snake can kill a fully grown human being within an hour from a single bite. But interestingly enough, even though it's so deadly, there are zero recorded fierce snake fatalities. Why? Because it's scared. It's kind of shy. Whenever a person comes near a fierce snake, it would much rather run than attack. The word fierce describes the snake's venom not its temperament. The fear in the fear snake drains it of its true power. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling drained. Everywhere I look, there's more about the coronavirus or sh sheltering in or the toilet paper panic or, or uh, what's going to happen with our future. And there's all these different opinions and, and there's all these worries and what's going to happen with our economy and when will things begin to feel normal again. And all these questions and all these things I see drain me of any power that God would probably want us to live with. And so that begs the question, can we live with power when everything we see is fear. Growing up, my, my parents are very, they're very strong Christians. Every single night before I go to bed when I was little, they would get out a children's Bible and read to me these Bible stories. And it's, it's the same exact Bible I now read every single night to my eight-month-old baby girl. And I loved those Bible stories before going to bed. The artists would always, you know, draw the pictures. Noah's Ark had all the animals sticking their heads out the windows. And, and Samson had muscles that I don't think were um, correct, like in an anatomy sense. And 
And then my favorite was the story of Balaam and his donkey where God enabled the donkey to talk to him. And the artist drew the donkey's face like even more surprised than Balaam that it could talk. I loved every single night getting to hear these stories about these Bible characters. I loved the Bible stories and Bible characters, but my mom would correct me anytime I called them Bible stories or Bible characters. My mom said, TC, these are not characters in a fairy tale. These things really happened. These were real people. I mean, if you, if you even try and research or look into it, history will recognize many of the people in the Bible truly lived, which means if the stories in the Bible are true, then there's a lot of stories that didn't make the cut for the children's Bible. Stories that were too R-rated, stories that were too severe, stories that were too difficult or too scary. David is one of those stories. We know him in the Bible as King David, one of the most successful people to have ever led Israel, probably the most successful. And David did incredible things. He stopped barbarian armies that had been plaguing Israel for generations. He was able to, to reunite the shattered nation. His conquests flooded the nation with wealth. He was able to focus the people on worshiping and following God. I mean, David, even as an artist, as a musician, wrote parts of the Bible, and we still sing in church today some of the lyrics that David wrote. He was wildly successful, but all of his success mostly came later in life. David went through decades of overwhelmingly dark difficulty. David, earlier in his life, spent years as an outlaw, on the run from the most powerful man in Israel at the time, this murderous, wicked, paranoid king named King Saul. David had to spend two decades looking over his shoulder, even though he never did anything wrong. The people closest to him betrayed him. He had to live in caves. It was a difficult, difficult circumstance. And one particular time, David's family and the family of all of his soldiers with him were kidnapped by the enemy and his men began contemplating whether or not they wanted to kill David for this, for this moment of fear and this, and this moment of failure. And David has a very interesting response. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Can we find power when everything we see is fear? David would say yes. David did not allow the circumstances, the struggles, the difficulties around him to diminish and drain his strength, his effectiveness, and his God-given power. So how do we find that power? What do we do? That's the question I've been asking in this season. So I've been going to the words that David has written in the Bible to try and find something that I can hold as true, something that I can use to give myself some strength in a scary season to change, to shift my fear to hope. And that's something I want to share with you now. So the first thing that we can do that, that David shows us in order to try and shift from fear to hope is that we don't need to deny the reality of our problems. Don't deny the reality of your problems. 
Next month, me and my wife, Cody, celebrate eight years of marriage. And I always really celebrate because it's, it's pretty amazing that I have been able to trick a woman much more beautiful, smart, and wonderful to be around to stay married to me for eight years. So I always celebrate that pretty big. But whenever we got married, like day one, of course, Cody was ready to start having kids. And I'm the youngest in all my family, like extended everything. I did not grow up around infants. I was never responsible for a baby. And so my apprehension kind of delayed the whole starting the family thing. But eventually, after several years, we started trying. And on November 27th, 2018, we found out we were pregnant. And all of a sudden, my lack of baby knowledge became a major source of anxiety, I knew everything was going to be different. I needed to learn a whole lot. We were going to have new schedules. We were going to have new priorities. And we were going to need a lot of new stuff, right? I mean, that's why people have baby showers, because apparently there's all these things you need in order to help the child survive the harsh environment of first-time parents. And so we, we began planning a baby shower. And to be honest with you, I was overwhelmed by all of it. It, it was, it's, it's a lot. Like, I mean, who do you invite to the baby shower? Do you have multiple or do you lump the work people in with the friend people? Uh, do they know that you actually care about them or do they think you're just asking them there to get free stuff? And are they going to be able to find the registry and the registry? So a couple months before the baby shower, me and Cody were going to have dinner with some friends. And I was like, hey, why don't we got an hour before we meet up with our friends? We can just go by, bye, bye, baby and knock this thing out real quick. It won't be a problem. Boy, was I wrong. Stepping into Bye Bye Baby felt like stepping off of a spacecraft onto an alien world. I did not recognize anything in the store. And the things that I did recognize, they asked me so many questions, I was just really confused. Like we started in the stroller section and they, they were like, okay, so do you want a three-wheeled stroller or a four-wheeled stroller? Do they need to be big wheels or do they need to be small wheels? Do you need to be able to remove the seat so you can put in a car seat? Do you have a forever car seat? What color do you want this to be? I just started praying that God would give Cody all the guidance and wisdom she would need because I'm clearly going to be useless in the life of our child. Because the questions were legion on every single item. We go to the, the rockers and does it need to be a glider rocker? What kind of wood do you want to be built out of? Do you want a protection plan? And then we go to the swings and then we go to the cribs and they just asked all these questions over and over and over. There's apparently a whole arsenal of things you need to be an adequate parent that I didn't even know existed. Something kind of like this. Now, do you know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of something called the nose Frida, right? It's used to remove boogers from your baby's nose. And that's a good thing. You got to get the bats out the cave so the baby can breathe. I'm all for that, right? But do you know how that works? That long blue tube goes in the baby's nose and then that little, little orange part on the end, you put your mouth on there to suck out the boogers, that is a straight up booger straw, people. I did not know that I was signing up to drink boogers out of my child's nose whenever we got pregnant. I did not know that was a part of it. And that kind of scared me. I became overwhelmed. I needed advice on everything. So I asked everybody I knew, please, can, can you tell me some good parenting advice? And you know what I got? The first time you hold the baby in your arms, your world will be changed forever. Whenever you look into her eyes, she will always have your heart. You already know everything you need to know. 
No, I did not. That advice did not help because I had no idea how to change a diaper. Knowing that I knew everything I needed to know did not help with helping put her back to sleep in the middle of the night when she was screaming. I did not know what flow I needed on a bottle at whatever age. I didn't know any of those things. And these people's advice was kind of ignoring that I had a real problem. Whenever we ignore, deny, or over-spiritualize the problems in our life, it does not lead to any resolution. It doesn't help anything. In fact, it tends to increase the harm and danger of the situation. COVID-19 is a real problem. We all have real problems in our life. David had real problems in his life, and he did not disregard them. Instead, he told God about them. And Psalm chapter 31, verse 9. David begins listing all of his concerns and fears and worries with God. He says, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my body and soul with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I'm forgotten as though I were dead. I become like broken pottery for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. David had a lot going on a host of enemies. He was exhausted. He was in agony, but he did not minimize. He did not reduce. He did not disregard the problems of his life because God does not minimize or disregard your problems. I mean, look at Jesus. Whenever they came to tell him that Lazarus was dead, Jesus did not say, you know what? I'm the resurrection of the life. Don't even worry about it. It's going to be fine. What did he do? He wept. When the lepers came to Jesus asking to be healed, Jesus didn't say, don't worry, I'm the great physician. It's not a big deal, all your big disease problems that you have. No, Jesus acknowledged their problem. God wants to not only acknowledge your problem, he wants you to trust him with it. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We need to be spending time telling God about our concerns. I mean, especially in this season, I'm praying multiple times a day. I'm praying and asking God for protection for my baby girl. Every single time I see her, I'm praying and asking God to protect my bride. I'm praying and asking God to protect my family and my friends. I'm praying and asking God to protect the people that I know that are serving in the medical field. I'm asking for God to protect all of our first responders. I'm asking God to safeguard our, our economy. I'm asking for God to give wisdom to our government and our leadership. I'm asking God to take care of our future. I'm praying a whole lot. Because I believe whenever I bring my problems to God, they become his problems. And when you look in scripture, some of the greatest miracles that God ever worked were in the midst of the greatest problems. So I want to make sure that my problems invite God's miracles into my life. Don't deny the reality of your problem. Secondly, Maybe you can say two at home. I always make people do that in the seat. So everybody, all right, on three, everybody say two. One, two, three. I don't think you actually did it. I probably, you probably ignored me just then, but you know what? We'll move on anyways. So number two, don't deny the reality of God's blessing. 
don't deny the reality of God's blessing. The, the word blessing is a church word. I don't generally like using words that we only use in church whenever I teach because it's not like, you know, like I'm out there and in and out and they give me a burger and I say, thank you for the blessings of your beautiful burger. I don't say that. We don't say that. We don't use that word. But the reality is that blessing's a hard word to find a good synonym for because it has so many wonderful nuances. I generally call blessing God's favor and that's what it is. I mean, God wants to champion and celebrate you whenever we follow him. But right now, I think the words that I wanna use to describe blessing is spiritual advantage. Whenever we're obedient to God, whenever we follow his commands and the plan that he has laid out for us in his word, then we invite spiritual advantage into our job, into our relationships, into our finances, into our family, into our marriage. God wants to give us spiritual advantage when we follow him. And David, David might've had a life that had some of the most challenging and difficult circumstances ever, but David would always take time to recognize and be grateful for the blessings and spiritual advantages God had given him. You can see him make a list about all those spiritual advantages in one of the most famous parts of scripture, Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table, a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And those words are incredible because it just shows David's trust, David's love and his confidence in God. But if I was going through the circumstances that David was living in the midst of, that would not be the words I would be writing down. I would be demanding answers from God. God, why would you allow for me to be the fugitive when all I've done has been obedient to you? Why would you allow such an evil man to be prosperous and powerful? God, why would you let this happen to me? And David might've had those questions, but he found a key in escaping the tunnel vision of his problems. See, in this season dealing with COVID-19, that's led to a lot of adjustments in our lives, right? There's some major adjustments we've had to deal with, but there's also some really annoying minor adjustments that are kind of driving me crazy, all right? Like, I, I really miss the gym, okay? Like, I, I mean, obviously, you know, like, I go to the gym all the time, but I mean, I don't know about that, but I mean, like, you know, I miss the gym. I like to go and lift. I like to exercise. I can't go to the gym right now. So Cody signs us up for Beachbody On Demand, okay? And, and Beachbody On Demand, it's a lot of like at-home exercises and a lot of them involve a resistance band, all right? I've never used resistance bands before when exercising, but I wanted to keep this huge bodybuilder physique that I have. So I was willing to try it, all right? And so... Uh, 
So, I, so I'm trying these resistance bands. I'm giving it a shot. And this particular day, the exercise we're doing for shoulders, right? And so the exercise was a military press. Like you stood on the giant rubber band and you would press the bands up above your head as, as they stretched from your feet, right? And so it was actually working pretty well. Like my, my shoulders were getting really tired. I was having some muscle fatigue. And whenever you're exercising and you begin to experience muscle fatigue, your body will naturally begin to shift. So that way it, you use other muscles. So that way not all your muscles get t- tired and worn out. And you've got to make sure you pay attention to your posture and how you're standing to prevent that. And so as I began to notice my posture was getting weak, I adjusted. I shifted my feet. And I learned that that's a bad idea with resistance bands. It's a giant rubber band that you're standing on. So when you step off, what happens? It shoots up. That thing shot up, slapped me across the back. I had had a gash across my back for like three days. I never would have learned that about resistance bands if it was not for the coronavirus. And some other annoying adjustments is, you know, I also really love going to the movies. I love the movies. I go all the time, especially I love getting excited when a franchise hit comes out, right? You've, you've seen the other ones. You're waiting for the big one. One of my favorite franchises to go to is James Bond, all right? I mean, he always beats the bad guy. He's always got cool gadgets and cars. He, he's always so suave when he does it. And so me and Cody have this tradition. Whenever we go to a James Bond movie, we go dressed like we are in the James Bond movie. I mean, like I'm in a suit, she's rocking a gown, like heels, the whole thing. We go out to dinner and we go to the movie and everybody's like, why are these people dressed up? And we bring a posse with us. Everybody's all dressed up. It's kind of like adult prom, except nerdier because we're doing it for James Bond, but I don't care. It's so much fun. Last time a James Bond movie came out, we went and here's a picture of us and like the whole crew. Yeah, we had a blast. It was so much fun. And so on April 9th, I had tickets to go see the new James Bond that was coming out. We had our outfit selected. The posse was set. We knew where we were going to dinner. And then because of coronavirus, we've got to wait until November. Another thing that's driving me crazy is like, man, I just want to go to a barber. Like my beard's getting a little out of control for me. I tried to like do a little trimming at home myself and a chunk came out and I'm trying to disguise it. So please do not try and look and find where that is because I'm not going to tell you where in the beard because I believe I've hidden it well and it's a great source of shame. But I'm looking forward to going back to the barber. And these are some of those annoying little things, right? These little adjustments in our life that are driving us crazy. But there's a lot of people that are not dealing with little adjustments major issues. People dealing with losing their health, losing their jobs, losing loved ones. And in the midst of all these fears and loss and agony and pain and frustration and difficulty and challenge, it's so easy to only see that. And David's life was filled with difficulty, but he still chose to identify and remind himself of the incredible blessings, of the incredible spiritual advantages that God was still giving him in the middle of those challenging seasons. You know, I, yeah, I miss, I miss the gym. I miss the barber. I, I miss being able to go to the movies. I miss being able to go to my job. You know, I love being a pastor. I love being able to see everybody and, and, and do what God's called me to do. But in this season, I'm not getting to do that. And I could be focused on those frustrations. But if I take a second, I can identify that God is blessing me in my life. 
Right now, I'm getting to be at home when my eight-month-year-old daughter is, is growing and her brain's developing and she, she's crawling around finding every single outlet that we've missed baby-proofing and every single wire for every charger in the house. And she's crawling up on things and falling over near things. And I'm getting to roll around on the floor with her and laugh with her and hold her. And that's time that I wouldn't have had going into work every day. I'm getting to go on walks with my bride and champion her and celebrate her and the incredible work she's doing raising our daughter. You know, I, I think David in the season that he was a fugitive, you know, it's easy to see all the challenges, but God had blessed him with influence and with soldiers. And so God was saying, yes, I've called you to be a king one day, but I want right now for you to focus on becoming a leader and a warrior. See, I think whenever we look at the blessings that God's giving us in any season, that can be a clue to what God's calling us to focus on today. You know, I generally am focused on my work and being a pastor, but right now when I look at the blessings God's giving me, I think God's telling me that I need to focus on being a dad and being a husband. So maybe you don't know what to do right now. Grab your phone or grab a piece of paper and start writing out the things that you can be thankful for, the things that you think God is blessing you with. And that might illuminate what God is wanting you to do today. Don't deny the reality of God's blessings. Don't deny the reality of your problems. And whenever we do these things or whenever we don't do those things, it begins to give us direction and peace. But if I were honest, we're still going to ask why. I'm sure David asked why. Because I mean, the story starts off that David, he's 15 years old whenever God sends his prophet Samuel to tell him that he will be king. I mean, that's surprising. Could you imagine somebody showing up and telling your teenager they're gonna be president? That's a lot of pressure that I would not want. And they're all surprised because not only was David 15 years old, he was the youngest in the family. At this point in time, in this culture, only the oldest Oldest male would receive the privilege and the opportunity and all the prestige. And so whenever God sends Samuel the prophet to anoint a king out of David's family, Samuel's focused on the oldest brother. But God has something interesting to say. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, God says, Do not consider his appearance, talking about the oldest brother, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looked at David's heart and saw a man that desired him. David grew up to be an incredible leader. God used him in amazing ways. He was able to defeat an undefeatable Philistine champion. He was able to bring in a time of revival to the nation of Israel that had never come before. David assembled all the resources needed to build the temple of God, a wonder of the world, unparalleled in its beauty. I mean, David did incredible things. He was able to defeat enemies that everyone thought could not be. How did a punk 15-year-old kid figure that out? The answer David had courage. When I say courage, I don't mean courage in the traditional brave heart or gladiator kind of way, although David was a valiant warrior. What I mean is that David had the courage to wait. David had the courage to stop asking what if and begin saying even if. All throughout the Bible, there's verses that say things like, be still and know that I am God. Be still and wait upon the Lord. Eagerly wait upon the Lord. And those verses drive me crazy 
Because when you're in those seasons where things are difficult and you're crying out for God and you're desperate for him and he responds with wait or he's silent, it makes me go insane. But in one season of my life where I was begging God and felt like he was telling me to wait over and over again, I found a verse to help give me a little perspective. And interestingly enough, that verse was written by David himself. Psalm 27, 14, wait patiently for the Lord, be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. When I read those words, especially be brave and courageous in the midst of being told to wait, I felt like God was telling me, hey, I get it. I know it's hard to wait. I know it's difficult to endure and most people will not. It takes bravery to wait for me. It takes courage to trust me. It takes faith. Now, faith is what the Bible tells us we have to have in order to please God. So what's faith? I think faith is the courage to trust. I think faith is the courage to wait. I think the faith is the courage to say, even if. So you're waiting right now. We're all waiting. You're waiting to see when things may go back to normal. You may be waiting on the results for a test. You may be waiting on who knows what. And you keep praying and asking God to do something, asking God to do that thing, asking God to send that check, asking God to take care of that thing, that thing, that thing. And it seems like nothing's happening. Well, I can tell you this, that God might not have done that thing yet, but in the meantime, he's doing something in you. And if you will allow him, God will use this time as a crucible to forge and prepare you for the incredible plans he has for you. It may not be for the plans that you have that you are praying for. And that's probably a good thing because the Bible tells us that he can do immeasurably more than we could ever dream or imagine. God's dreams for you are bigger than your wildest dreams are for you. So will you wait? Because as you wait, he will prepare you for those wonderful plans. So be brave and courageous and wait patiently on the Lord. Be brave and courageous and wait patiently on the Lord. Be brave and courageous and wait patiently on the Lord. And he will help you find power when all that we can see is fear. Can I pray for you? God, it's really easy to read the words in the Bible and say them out loud, and it's really, really hard to believe it. Because everything I see, everything that I read, every article I find gives me more fear. But God, you tell us that you don't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. So God, teach me in this season not to deny the fact that there is a problem in the world, God, that I need to be wise, that I need to be patient, that I need to be smart in how I handle this and how I protect the people I love. But God, I also do not need to deny that you are giving amazing blessings in the midst of this season. I need to identify, I need to recognize, I need to celebrate so that I can keep my mind set on your plans and not set on my fears. So God, I pray for everyone listening to this today that they'll have the courage to wait and trust you. God, maybe there's someone listening right now that doesn't know you. I pray that they'd have the courage to speak to you right now and say, God, 
I'm scared, but I want your blessing. God, I want you to be my God. So God, I don't know what all it takes, but I want to be yours today. Teach me how to follow you. Teach me how to find your power. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Man, thank you so much for spending the time with us today at Adventure Church. And we look forward to seeing you again next week.